showed me the perfect snap. <laughs> we haven't had a perfect one yet. But... <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the Two Our Gathered Catholic Podcast with Father Rob Kroll and me, Jim Fellows. Father Rob, how are you doing today? Jim, you know, overall, I'm doing well. We just got back... Uh... A couple days ago from a five-day silent retreat with all of our seminarians and uh, I think they had a good experience so and we're starting our new semester today classes begin for the for the seminarians so life is good how are you doing I'm doing okay what do you do on a silent retreat I know but maybe some <laughs> people listen <laughs> well to I had a know. Jesuit friend of mine come and he gave uh, 10 conferences over the course of the five days and and when they weren't in a conference they were uh, doing some prayer and reading and uh, maintaining silence throughout the week so they could listen better for the voice of God. And uh, we were available to also meet with them individually if they wanted to come talk about what was coming up in their retreat and made myself available for confessions. And of course, we had Mass each day. So actually, you know, quite a bit of uh, activity, but also a lot of time for them just to be be still and uh, and be quiet with the Lord. That's, uh, that's how we met was on a silent retreat. This which... is true. Weird, well, just uh, coming in for confession and yeah. and some spiritual direction, and then and then and then look what came from that. Would you have imagined? I know. Twenty years ago, I would imagine and, that you could have ever made it three days without, you know, speaking. <laughs> I mean, the silent retreat—that's amazing. <laughs> that, uh, that sure be hurtful. That's nice. <laughs> oh, I would only say that because I know you. You could take it. You, you All right. Where's that microphone? It's right in front of me. Okay, good. Keep it right there. <laughs> so today's... Oh, before we get into today's topic, um, I wanted to mention some stuff mm-hmm. um, because we're, uh, we seem to be doing pretty good mm-hmm. um, as far as like, uh, you know, our stats are, are really interesting. We have... Um, a majority of our our listeners are in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, we seem to have picked up a few people in Germany, oh. uh, a couple people in Canada, uh, the United Kingdom, and the Philippines. Uh, the people that were in um, Iran uh, stopped listening. That made me sad. <laughs> but we still have an international. We have audience. an internet, yeah. We haven't technically. We haven't. It's not huge, but technically, we uh, have an international audience, which right. is pretty exciting. That I think that's exciting. cool. That is exciting. I don't know what we're doing to do that, but yeah. Uh, so yeah. So let's not drive them away yet. Let's get into our topic, which will probably drive them away. <laughs> um, the we we've covered some really unpopular topics in our podcast so far. <laughs> And this one is no different. Right, right. We're going to talk about evangelization, aren't we, Jim? We are. We're going to talk about evangelization. That's like Which the thing that no a lot Catholics of people are probably wondering. Yeah, about. what what the heck can a Catholic say about this? We're not evangelical Christians. We're Catholics, and yet right. we're going to talk about evangelization. So, well, do you want to get us started? Uh, no, I want you to get us started. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, talk about uh, uh, what is evangelization and what 
you know, there's another uh, word out there, uh, proselytization. Right. Like, we uh, should distinguish those words, right. So, sure. Well, we can even look at the uh, etymology or the root meaning uh, evangelium. So um, gospel, good news, um, uh, it has to do with, you know, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That's really what we're talking about in the podcast today is how we can share the message of Jesus Christ with others. And um, we actually, in the Catholic Church, in recent uh, years, have talked about a new evangelization. Uh, uh, Pope St. John Paul II kind of popularized that term. Um, of course, for 2,000 years, we Catholics have been evangelizing the world. We've sent missionaries all around the world. You'll find uh, Catholics in every corner of the globe. But um, I think John Paul II, when he was Pope, he kind of realized that at least in the West... Um, Christianity, Catholicism perhaps in particular, had grown kind of, uh, kind of old or kind of stale, and uh, it wasn't lighting a fire, you know, in people's hearts and minds, and it, it seemed to be waning in terms of its cultural influence. So he, he called for a new evangelization, kind of a fresh, you know, a fresh look, a fresh approach to uh, missionary efforts, and, and you use that word proselytizing or proselytization, and, you know, that we as Catholics, when we use that term, uh, it tends to be a more negative term, and it, and it kind of refers to the in-your-face type of Christian who might, you know, come up to you and, and kind of very forcefully uh, shove a Bible in your face and kind of ask if you're, if you're saved, and, and, it, and it's an approach that, you know, can seem to put off a lot of people, and uh, it seems overly aggressive. It doesn't seem to necessarily respect kind of the person that you're talking to and trying to communicate with. You're maybe not really listening to their experience. And so evangelization has to be done uh, in a way that is always respectful of, of the dignity of the person. And, and, and I think, you know, St. Ignatius, the founder of my religious order, the Jesuits, used to talk about going in a person's door and bringing them out your door. In other words, you go in, you approach them with, you know, interest about, who they are and what the, what's their experience of God, what's their religious experience, and then and then you can share something of your own, have a dialogue, and then maybe in the end they kind of walk out your door. They come with you uh, closer to Jesus. But anyway, so I think it's important to talk today, you know, in the podcast about how do we evangelize as Catholics in a way that is going to really not only just be effective but be uh, respectful to people. Well, and the obvious elephant in the room is um, why Catholics don't evangelize, because we don't. <laughs> no, we really, we're, we're pretty much at the bottom of the list of, like, Christians that give, that, that tithe and, you know, donate money to their churches. And I think we're also probably at or near the bottom of effective evangelists, yeah. Do you have any thoughts about why that might be? I mean, you're, you're a Catholic, and you know a lot of Catholic people. Um, and you're very active I in the church. Uh, well, why is it that we don't there. do this so well? I think, um, well, there is, there's a bunch of reasons why I think Catholics avoid it. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, one of them is nobody's ever evangelized to them. Yeah. So this isn't something that they've been a witness to. The only evangelization that they've seen has been, you know, the, the proselytization from or maybe proselytization from Jehovah's Witnesses mm -hmm. or other. 
And it's and and also I think their their whole thought is, uh, you know, we got professionals to do this. So right. Father Rob, you get to do this. And exactly. I mean, we have a kind of a hierarchical church, and I think right traditionally, evangelization was seen as the role of the Pope, the bishops, you know, priests and nuns. But but you know, I'm just an average Catholic in the pew. You know, what do I have to say? And so yeah, it's unfortunate that I think a lot of people just feel they're either not worthy, they're not knowledgeable enough, or they're not, that's just not part of their role. When, and, yeah, I, yeah, I think that a lot of people feel that they haven't been catechized properly, mm-hmm. which, which they is, probably right. have. Right, there's probably some truth to that, right. We, we have a significant problem with catechesis in the church that um, the underlying message that once you get confirmed, you know everything you got to know about the Catholic Church and you're done. Right. And then there's not a lot of learning after that. Right, So. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And, and obviously, if we're going to talk about our faith and our relationship with God and Jesus with other people, it also presumes that, you know, I've kind of reflected on this and that I've maybe gained some knowledge about the truths of my faith. And so I think there are a lot of, you know, Catholics that are probably afraid because they're like, um, I don't really know why the church teaches this. And I know that they teach it, but I haven't really, you know, discovered why. And, and, and of course, if there isn't that personal relationship, that personal friendship with, with the Lord, then it's going to be hard to really witness to it. Um, you know, I think another thing, too, I, I saw this on, a, uh, on the Internet, you know, as I was thinking about this topic, is I, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. I think a lot of Catholics tend to think that, you know, basically everybody's going to heaven, and if you just kind of are a quote-unquote nice person or a good guy, um, that's all you really need. And so maybe there isn't an urgency about evangelization because, you know, a lot of Catholics think, you know, just as long as I don't murder somebody or, you know, sleep around with 10 people, I'm, I'm basically going to heaven. And so what's the point, you know? And so I think that's part of the problem is, you know, we don't maybe take seriously enough the fact that the gospel is actually quite demanding, that you know, that there may be a lot of people who are far from God and need to be, uh, you know, kind of converted or, you know, need to repent of sin and so forth. So um, that, I think, is part of the problem, too, kind of what we might call a a universalist approach, that basically everybody except maybe Hitler is going to be in heaven. And and so that takes away a lot of the urgency. As I say that, I'm thinking about... um, uh, one of the great Jesuit missionaries, St. Francis Xavier. I think he's probably even more well-known than St. Ignatius for a lot of people. And, um, you know, he went off to India. He was sent to India and, and the East to uh, evangelize. And he baptized thousands of people. But especially in his day, like the 16th century, basically it was it was believed that if you weren't baptized, you were going to hell. So there right. was a real strong, you know, missionary thrust with his. And, and, and he wrote a letter back to St. Ignatius and his Jesuit uh, confreres back in Europe, basically, and this is, you can, you can read this, it's a letter that's been published, he scolds them, you know, while they're sitting in their classrooms, kind of doing all this academic, ethereal thinking, he's like, you know, souls are being lost. Now, mm-hmm. we have to qualify all that, I mean, obviously studies are really important, and we know now today that, you know, you can get to heaven without necessarily being baptized and all that, but um, I think we've lost, uh, from St. Saint, from Saint Francis Xavier's day, we, we have lost a sense of that urgency that preaching the gospel, talking about Jesus Christ, bringing people to Christ is really actually very important. Oh, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think that um, I think one of the other things that comes into play, I think uh, there's a lot of people who are embarrassed to admit that they're Catholic. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the, the 
pre-scandal is, has yeah. um, made people go uh, stick their head in the ground and mm-hmm. and not be like, well, actually, I'm Catholic, and I, you know, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, it's, and I think it's <sighs> going to become increasingly difficult to kind of like raise the Catholic flag in this culture, at least in the West. You know, I think that not only because of the sexual abuse crisis, but you know, just um, in general, Catholic beliefs and Catholic values tend to clash with a lot of the dominant values and beliefs of our culture. And I think that divide uh, is probably going to become more noticeable. So so to evangelize today and to be kind of a vocal, um, visible Catholic, is uh, it requires some real courage. And, um, and yeah, I can see why it's, it's a difficult task and, and one that we might shy away from. Well, and I think that in our current state of being in a pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, we have we're facing the issue of having to uh, evangelize to our own Catholics mm-hmm. who haven't have, have out of fear and rightfully fe- uh, fearful of not going to mass for uh, we're coming up on a year that uh, that a lot of folks have that we've had to deal with this pandemic yeah. and a lot of people have and avoided um, public, uh, you know, getting together in public. And um, so it's having those people come back. That's, uh, that's not a guarantee. You know, they, we, they're, they're saying that by March or April, um, hopefully we're going to have the, the COVID thing under control and people can start maybe uh, uh, resuming normal lives. But, you know, yeah. I think we're going to have to gently encourage our own Catholic brethren to come back. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You know, I'm thinking as you say that of uh, also the fact that uh, traditionally I think we Catholics have, you know, maybe because we were the largest denomination and we were so numerous, um, and because, like we said, that the, this task largely was assigned to priests and, and nuns and so forth, they you know, I think a lot of the evangelization or the spreading of the faith just happened, like, within our own walls. And we're not accustomed to having to go out to, as Pope Francis calls it, go out to the peripheries and kind of reach out to people who are on the margins and invite them in, you know. And so I think that's going to have to be a new, uh, like, a feature of our work as Catholics is to actually go to places where people are, you know, suffering and where they're hurting and where they, they need to hear about God, but they aren't. There's one seminarian here. He's, he's a first-year seminarian, a really neat guy. And um, he spent a, this past summer before he came into the seminary, he was um, at a local parish here in Milwaukee, and he was literally going around the neighborhood. And it's a pretty rough, poor neighborhood. He was literally going around and finding, like, you know, people who were on drugs or people who were homeless and he would invite them to Mass. You know, he'd bring them to adoration, and he would talk to them about Jesus. And he loved it. And uh, and I think, you know, that kind of spirit is, is... And this is just a guy who's just out of college, you know, and so he's not a quote-unquote professional Catholic, and he's out there talking to people about his relationship with God and with the Lord, and then just saying, come on in, you know, this place is for you. So I, I, I'm really edified by that, and um, that's, you know, not that all of us have to go and be that, you know, direct or kind of that radical, but, but we do need to be talking with our, our families, our relatives, our coworkers. We might share a book that we've read about Catholicism or about Jesus with somebody and say, hey, you know, why don't you come to Mass with me or 
you know, I'm going to confession this Saturday. What, what, you know, why don't you come along? You know, now that would be somebody who's already Catholic, but yeah, but, but not yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but, cer- <laughs> but certainly coming to mass. Wait, we're going to do what? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I got it. You know how much I hate to correct you, Father, but I really enjoy correcting you. Um, <laughs> Look, I need I need correction often. Catholicism is not a denomination. Right. All the Protestant, all the Protestant faiths are a denomination of the Catholic faith. Yeah, no, this is true. This is true. There's only really one, as the as the Catholic Church teaches. There's only one church. It's it's the right. Church of Jesus Christ. It subsists in the Catholic Church, and then there are other ecclesial communities. You know, there's all this technical language, but yes, yes I know. I shouldn't talk about Catholicism as just a denomination. You're right. as the first denomination. I'm gonna I'm gonna right here. I'm gonna slap my hand. Ready? There, I slapped nice. my wrist. So. You couldn't do it from Minnesota, oh, I, so I did it to I, myself. I would have. <laughs> no, you would have. You would have slapped my cheek, I think, actually. But that's okay. They used to do that, you know, in the old days before I was confirmed. They used to do that, like when our grandparents were confirmed. The bishop would would give a little strike on the cheek of the uh, person being confirmed as a way of saying you're like now a soldier of Christ, and you get a little a little slap. That was kind. Of, I think that was kind of a neat symbol. But anyway, a deacon. I digress. Yeah, a deacon that I'm friends with. Uh, during Easter season, when they'd go and they'd, they'd um, throw holy water all over the, uh, the congregation, yeah. he'd walk by me, I'd be in the <laughs> choir pit playing guitar, and he'd just douse me. Would he? He'd just like <laughs> pour the uh, holy water bath. bucket upside down on your head. Yeah. Yeah. He'd just load up the palm leaves and just whack me. <laughs> Oh yes, he's no. a good guy. Yeah. So your the, the the story of your friend reminded me of when I was in college, and I was involved in campus ministry at college, um, and um, the woman that I was dating was a part of the social justice uh, mm-hmm. group, and and uh, they they were like, well, let's go to caring and sharing hands, and and let's just and well, what are we gonna do? That's what we're just gonna eat with them. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. And it's a caring and sharing hands um, feeds and, and cares for the homeless people in the Twin Cities. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm like, well, that's all right. Let's go. And um, mostly because she was really cute. Uh-huh. I'm going to be honest about that. All right. But so we get there and um, one of our friends, Ruth, is sitting across the table next to uh, a couple of people. And she just says... Uh, to the guy on her left, she's like, hi, how are you? How, how was your day? And he stands up and he screams at her and he's like, I know why you're here. I know what you're doing. I don't want any of that. I just want to eat in peace. And, and she was like, oh, okay. And then she turned to the person on her right and she's like, well, how's your day going? And I freaked out. Like, I did not say another word. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a miracle in and of itself. Well, you mean because back, you were afraid of a reaction back in the like day, that? <laughs> I was terrified yeah. of some guy yelling at me. Right? Oh yeah, so, you never know what you're going to get as a response. But but um, so yeah, so Ruth Try wearing a collar in an airport or something, you know, a Roman collar. Well, and I would think that that would actually. I mean, do people come and yell at you in the airport? Um, I can't say they come and yell at me, but you get some pretty cold, hostile stares. Although you get also the opposite. Obviously, you get people smiling and coming up to you and asking you to pray with them. Right. So yeah, there's all different kinds of reactions. But, you know, the airport's kind of the stereotypical uh, venue where you just get this mass of humanity. And, and the collar now especially has such it's such a lightning rod for people. It can 
you know, it can evoke a lot of painful things or it can be uh, a source of great comfort, you know, and, and well, solace. and that's a great, I mean, that's a nice tool of evangelization, right? That, right. Uh, you know, there was, there was a long period in our history when you and I were growing up when priests put the collar on for Sunday and then the rest of the week they were in, you know, sweatshirts yeah. and izods. Yeah. So <laughs> that describes still a lot of Jesuits, I think, too. But uh, no, I mean, there's it's not I don't have to wear it 24 seven, but I agree. I think uh, I wear it more now than I would have yeah. uh, earlier in my Jesuit life, because I do want people to know that, you know, we're still out there. There's still um, people that try to know, love and serve God. And and also, like I said, people will come up and maybe ask you to pray with them or entrust a petition uh, to you. And so. I think that's really important. Now, for a lay Catholic, you know, maybe they can wear a, a, a cross. You know, even a small cross is a visible symbol of your faith, and right. so that could be something. I, I know, uh, you know, some of the guys here in the seminary, they have, like, T-shirts that they've collected over the years as, you know, whatever, from campus ministry in their schools, or maybe they were a focused missionary. And sometimes, you know, when they're out in public, they'll um, wear a T-shirt that has... Uh, some quote from a pope or something about Jesus, and certainly, you know, again, we as lay Catholics can can wear things around that that will indicate that they're uh, that they're Catholic. I see sometimes Catholic, um, you know, Catholic families will have on their van, their minivan with all their kids, you know, pray the rosary or stop abortion or whatever. So you know, you can get bumper stickers. So there's ways that we can make our faith kind of visible. Even just here's here's an act of evangelization. Just make a uh, sign of the cross before you uh, eat your meal at, uh, you know, IHOP or Denny's yeah. or wherever. Yeah, I mean, just like that alone. Uh, you know, we were talking about this before the podcast, that it's no longer, unfortunately, I think, attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi. They seem to have ripped this away from him. But he, for a long time, he was credited for having saying, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words, right? There's lots of ways just by the way we witness in our life that we can, quote-unquote, preach. But... The one thing I don't like about that is sometimes people inv- invoke that saying or that aphorism to justify never using words. And it's like, no, we also got to be willing to talk to people about yeah. our faith when the moment, when the moment arises. You know? I was in, a, when I was working at St. Thomas, um, we were on retreat, um, and I was, there was a student there. I don't know if I talk about, uh, I talked about him before. Mm. Um, I, all my, I've got like five stories. So, okay. um, <laughs> but we were up late one night just arguing. Mm-hmm. Andy and I were, he was in the seminary mm-hmm. and we were arguing church law versus the spirit of the law. Uh-huh. And, and he was just like, we got to you know, follow church law and it should be in Latin and people don't seem to understand that, that we're going to lose people if we don't follow the law and blah, 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 blah. And, and I was arguing about, you know, the spirit, and this went into like two or three in the morning. Uh-huh. We're going to get up in like four hours. Wow. And then finally I looked at him and I said, I said, Andy, and this just struck me out of the blue. I said, Andy, it doesn't matter that God loves us. What matters is, is that we know God loves us. And if we know that God loves us, we're going to be okay. And, and, but we also have the responsibility of making sure that everybody around us knows that God loves them. Yeah. Because that's the most important message. Right. Right. No, that's huge. Yeah. And that's evangelization. It is. uh, That's the core. That's like the most fundamental truth, isn't it? That people know that. You know, not just that God is, but that God loves them and is 
yeah, madly in love with them and wants a relationship yeah. with them. I mean, that's what and it's all about. And wants a relationship, which is, you know, the whole reason for this podcast. Right, right. So we, we want people to know that God wants to be in relationship with them. I think that m- probably all of our listeners are, we're preaching to the choir right now. I think the the people who are listening are probably pretty strong in their faith. But, yeah. you know, we're hoping that this will uh, spread out and, and exactly. get, to, get to others. I am... Um, uh, at the last church that I was at, um, I was a part of a, a group to help get a men's group going. Uh-huh. And, and there was a men's group, and these really fine guys, and, but they were really known for uh, pancake breakfast, and then mm. they'd clean up the church after Christmas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And these were like the two big things that they were known for. Yeah. And the, the priest uh, got a bunch of us guys together, and it was like, I really want to be able to evangelize, evangelize to mm-hmm. the men in our church, and then uh, that they will uh, take their rightful place as, as the head of the family and, and, and evangelize to their wife and kids. And, yeah. And then partner up with their wives and yeah. bringing up the children. Yeah, the, the domestic church, right? That's what we call the family, the domestic right. church. Right, and, and there's there's a ton of Catholic men who are there because, and I know them, and they're friends of mine, but they're mm-hmm. there because their wives are taking them to church, and they yeah. they, they, they want to make their wives happy, and, and they may or may not go on their own. But anyway, so uh, we... we uh, uh, started this group, started having these uh, breakfasts that were um, huge. Like, we'd get 100 people coming to these, 100 men coming to these things. Yeah. And there'd be a lot of pushback. It's like, well, why can't women come? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, they could, but this is, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, they're, but they're women's groups. Sure. Like, let's just, uh, and, and uh, there, was, uh, there was one guy um, who works for St. Uh, Paul Outreach, and he was one of the key actors in this whole thing. Uh-huh. And he was like largely responsible for getting uh, getting over 100 people uh, coming to this thing. I don't think I, you know, like my invitations, again, being terrible <laughs> at evangelizing, <laughs> like I think I invited, uh, you know, f- five or six people. Mm. And I had one guy from the core group, I was sitting there talking with a friend of mine after church, and he comes up and he was like, hey, Jim, have you invited this guy to work? I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. Yet. He's like, well, let me introduce myself and let me tell you about what we're doing this and there would be bacon and you should come for right, bacon. There you go. So that uh, I I think that and the, the, the thing about it is the response demonstrated the fact that there was a huge thirst yeah. that people probably didn't even recognize mm-hmm. until you know, they they got that first taste. Right. Um, there there was a thirst for a, a closer relationship to Christ. Sure. Well, we're built and, that way. You know, everybody's yeah. made with that God sized hunger, so or thirst. Yeah. You know, I think about you, you and I met it as you've often said. We met at Demondreville at this Jesuit retreat house up in the Twin Cities, and you know, I was on staff for three years there, and it was uh, really neat to see how um, occasionally. Uh, the reason why we had new retreatants come on the retreat is because, you know, a Catholic man decided 
to invite a friend or a coworker who may or may not have been Catholic, but um, and sometimes he had to invite multiple times and got multiply you know turned down multiple times, but kept at it, was persistent, and eventually kind of wore the guy down, and he came, and then he, you know the response is always, why didn't I do this ten years ago? You know why did I wait so long? So right. I think we have to sometimes realize that you know it isn't just one and done, but we might have to go back to uh, people that we love, people that we know, and maybe take different approaches. And, you know, and kind of there, there can be certain times when we know a person might be more open, like especially if they've maybe suffered a, a loss or there's something difficult going on in their lives. You know, that might be a time to invite them to, uh, you know, go to adoration or go to mass or, or um, anyway, just, to, you know, to kind of be on the lookout for when, when might be the right time. And of course, we always have to do it, as, as we were saying at the beginning of the podcast, we have to do it with love and respect. Um, I think about Paul's line that I quote often in Ephesians 4, that we have to preach the truth in love, you know. The naked truth without love can be like this weapon, you know. It's kind of that stereotype of just bludgeoning somebody with the truth. And you may very well be right with your truth, but what good have you done if you just kind of pummel people with it and and they're totally turned off? But likewise, there's really no authentic love without truth. And so to say that we love our family members or our friends, but we we don't challenge them, we don't confront them about, you know, destructive behaviors, or we don't invite them to learn more about the faith. I mean, if we really love them, we want them to be in a relationship with God. We want them to be with us in heaven. So that should be some of the motivators to get us to take a risk, you know. And what's the worst thing that can happen? They'd say, no, thank you, you know. Well, you haven't right. really lost anything, but the risk could pay off with a big, uh, sure, I'll come I'll join you at Mass, or I'll go to Adoration, or I'll go on retreat with you, and that could be huge. It could be life-changing. There was a big push in our church um, in the 70s and the 80s, and it carried on for a while, where um, if we just made church more entertaining, mm, yeah, right. we, could, we could bring more people in, and we had to suffer through clown masses and... Just, just you yeah, know, ridiculous just stuff. Yeah. Ridiculous stuff that was going on, and and the reality of it is, <coughs> is a, a huge majority of the people that are out there are hurting. Yeah, yeah. And if if you know, you talked about earlier about how people don't feel the need to evangelize. It's like, well, everyone's going to go to heaven anyway. But if everyone's hurting, you know, that's the real. Uh, that's a real benefit of evangelization. Mm-hmm. Just to be able to appeal to the people who are hurting and give them a balm, mm-hmm. give them an, a, a, something that will help with their healing. Yep. Yeah. For sure. No, you're right. And uh, you know, you know, you mentioned kind of the clown masses and how ridiculous things got. And I know that today, I, I personally, I was never um, trained myself in what we call the extraordinary form, so I can't celebrate the Latin Mass, but you know, there are churches actually even near the seminary here that offer that. And, and in recent years, there's been an upsurge in Catholics that go to the Latin Mass, uh, including a lot of young people and families. But what's kind of cool, I think, about the Catholic Church is we, you know, we do have a very broad tent. So we have all different forms. I mean, it's always the Mass. The essentials are always the same. But, but if you are drawn to a more mysterious, you know, um, higher liturgy with the Latin Mass, Great, that's available to you. If you're, you know, interested in the, you know, what I guess most people would say they experience at their their parish church, um, that's available to you as well. And 
and you know there's life teen masses and you know there's different forms of music and so my point being that yeah we we kind of experimented in the 70s and 80s in such a way that it got you know way out of hand but um but what's kind of neat is it's not one size fits all either you know that there that there are different ways of uh celebrating liturgy and engaging in the faith that you know can be adapted to your to your situation too yes and there's our first awkward pause of the podcast so <laughs> that's that, okay. we, 31. we went 31 minutes mm-hmm. without uh, having an awkward pause right the uh one of the things <coughs> and this is the and you'll probably laugh at me and tell me that this is really dumb um but I really do believe this, and uh, I, and I, I find this really interesting that that when Christ um, died and was resurrection resurrected, mm-hmm. um, and then he came back to the apostles, and he was he was in his glorified body at that point, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't Christ, fully glorified yet, but he was. Yeah, it was a risen body, right? Right, and um, in his risen body. Um, he was healed from the wounds of of being uh, whipped and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Scourged. Uh, flagellated, scourged, right? Yeah, and and scourge and scourging. Just you know, in case anybody didn't know, it's taking a whip and then putting uh, rocks and or sharp things, bones. yeah, right, sheep right. bones, something that will ta- literally tear the flesh off your body, right? Right. Most people didn't survive the scourging. They either got scourging or they got uh, right. crucifixion, and, and Christ got both. Mm-hmm. But he was apparently healed of all those wounds, but not the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. Right. And we know that because he offered to St. Thomas to mm-hmm. you know, t- put his finger in the, the holes in his hand and mm-hmm. the, uh, the hole inside. And we just were just like, well, of course he didn't. It's like, but why... I, it's, it strikes me as odd. And every time that um, Christ would appear before a saint or a mystic, um, he's, he's, he has these wounds right. that he's right. still... And he's and allowed like, certain mystics like Padre Pio to experience the stigmata. Or yes. Of Sisi. So he actually allows others to, to experience that. So here's my theory. Can you tell me if it's stupid or not? Um, that the, the reason that Christ... Uh, allowed himself to be healed of all the all the scourging wounds and the b- broken bones, and kept the wounds from the cross. Um, I think it's an invitation to us uh, to go and um, that there's still healing to be done. That mm-hmm. this is Christ's way of telling us the healing isn't done yet, and mm-hmm. you need to help me with this, and that we can go and help heal other people, mm-hmm. and in doing so. I believe that that helps to heal the wounds that Christ is still holding mm-hmm. on to. That's my theory. Well, I, and you're sticking by it. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things that has a number, there's a number of different ways we can interpret it or understand it. So for me, too, I, I think one of the reasons why the Lord retains those wounds, even in his glorified state, is they remain for us a very visible, like concrete, tangible sign of the love. You know, that, that uh, the greatest act of love he, he does for us is to allow himself to be nailed to a cross. And so those wounds are kind of a perpetual reminder of this greatest act of love. But I think your point is very on target, too, that 
It's a reminder that, uh, you know, how often, I mean, most of the miracles that Jesus performed, they weren't uh, miracles over nature. They were healing miracles. I mean, he was constantly trying to bring healing to people, and we're all the walking wounded. So I think um, I think what you say is pretty, I, I'm almost hesitant to tell you this, but I think it was quite profound, Jim, what you said. <laughs> and so don't let that go to your head. Wow. But, yeah. All yeah. right. <laughs> Well, but it it it, uh, it 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 propels me to try to help the healing of other people. Yeah, like no, if I know sure. somebody's hurting, right. um, that if there's a possibility that I am I am in some way, shape, or form um, easing the the suffering of Christ, mm-hmm. and He talks about that. He's mm-hmm. He's like, "What you've done to the least of my brothers? If you've fed me, or you, right. that that's that's like what we're getting judged on at right. the." That's the big deal. Not how much money you put in the plate or, right. you know, it's all those things which are all important. Yeah. But uh, Well, and Paul talks about um, make, you know, like, I don't have the exact words now, but it's, it's close to this, basically making up for what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, obviously, Jesus' own passion and death was a perfect sacrifice. There's nothing imperfect or incomplete about it. But what he's getting at is, you know, over the last 2,000 years since the crucifixion, um, all of us who make up the body of Christ and who are wounded and suffering, like like Jesus' suffering has to be, you know, as it were, played out in our lives. And, and he has to bring healing now to all of us who are wounded and broken. So uh, I think that's really, that is a real um, way in which evangelization can happen is People, when they're, when they're hurting, when they're suffering, wounded, broken, they're really open. They're open and ready for uh, a message of love and hope and that God, you know, does love them. He is active in their lives. So, yeah, I think that it's not the only way, but I think you're, you're onto something really important when you say that basically uh, evangelization, like the fertile ground for evangelization is, is when people are really hurting because then they're more open they're not so distracted they're they're really open to what's essential um and when you help somebody heal they they know that this is out of love and 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 if you do this out of love um they're gonna make a connection between um christ's love and your actions and you'll be asked and you're just Mm -hmm. like well that's why i'm doing it yeah yeah god told me to right so well, look at that. Right. I think we've, we've managed to waste a, a perfectly good 40 minutes again. What? But I think it went... <laughs> one thing. No, oh, we got... There's one thing that I forgot that we were... Uh, okay, we go for it. talked about that's on your list of uh, your page of five. Okay. Um, there's a video by uh, uh, Penn Gillette, the Penn oh, and yeah, Teller yeah. fame. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how uh, an evangelical Christian came up to him, I'm guessing evangelical evangelical Christian, came up to him after a show, brought him a Bible, and talked to him about um, his uh, eternal salvation. And Penn, uh, Penn and Teller are both like rabid yeah, yeah. atheists. Right, very convinced atheists. They, um, they, they're they, almost evangelistic in their atheism, actually. They are. They're very, uh, dare I use the word, devout in their right. atheism. Right. And it's, uh, it's and, and, and their passion for atheism, I wish... A lot of uh, you know we should we should mm-hmm. have for Catholicism, right. but but um, Penn's response to this guy 
Um, he, he listened to him. I guess they talked for about a half an hour. He was talking about um, how hell is real and, and she gave him a Bible. And, and Penn's response, and he shared this in the video, he's like, you know what? He goes, I don't believe any of that stuff. But if you do, shame on you if you're not spending 24 hours a day trying to convince people like me. Mm-hmm. If you actually believe that there's a potential that I'm going to end up in hell, then what is holding you back yeah. from trying to save me from that? Right, right. Which is one of the best arguments in the <laughs> I, I agree. putting it out. Right. No, he was actually very, I mean, he wasn't angry in this video. He was very, almost like touched that this guy would be so concerned about his salvation. And right. like you said, even though he doesn't buy into it, he, he, he recognized that this guy was motivated by love, and he was really sincere, and there was something uh, moving about that. And, and uh, so, yeah, what a great word to all of us who do have the faith that, you know, he's, he's saying, you should be out there talking to people like me. So, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's take up the charge. It's not a bad idea. You got something? I mean, you probably don't. But do you have a thing that we like this week? No, I was thinking about that about five minutes ago, <laughs> that I, I had not prepared anything. Um, so this is a do? great bit. I'm sure that you know all the people that we, you know, we we mentioned this to, like their sales are going through the roof. And I know, I know. Maybe we should ask people, ask listeners to share with us things so that we can increase their profits. You know, tremendously. We've gotten a few. We've gotten a few responses on uh, mail at twoargathered.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, our email address. You can post stuff on our Facebook page. Um, to our gathered uh, on Facebook, um, there's a lot of different ways. And you know, this is any of this. If you got questions about anything, we're getting good suggestions from people on what we should cover in podcasts. Yep. So please interact with us. That's, right. Uh, that would be fantastic. We want to hear from our fan base. Yeah, or you know, people who listen. I don't know if that's a <laughs> fan seems like a strong term. Strong, strong but, term. Yeah. And it's a little, it's a little crass too. We're not really after fans, but we're not. Now you know one thing, Jim. As we talk, uh, because we've talked about the need for evangelization and how we can do that even in our, in our jewelry or our clothing. I wonder if there isn't some, um, some product that we can, you know. Uh, well, instead of scrambling for a product right now, I actually have one. So oh, excellent. I, you're you're like a Boy Scout. You're always prepared. I try to be prefer- prepared. It's yeah. uh, I'd like to have uh, some semblance of mm-hmm. professionalism to this podcast. <laughs> I know people appreciate it. But one of the things that I um, uh, I am a big fan of. I'm a big fan of Padre Pio. I think mm-hmm. that Padre Pio is. Um, he the, the stuff that I read about him just blows me away, and I hope it's all true. Um, and some of it could just be like Catholic urban legend and stuff right. like that. But uh, the rest of it, I'm just hoping. But he has a book. Somebody has compiled a book called Padre Pio's Spiritual Direction for Every Day. Mm-hmm. And, and it's dated. Um, so you pull up the date that it is and you read whatever Padre Pio. So and like it's just excerpts of letters. Yeah, there's 365. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you're, you're, you know, you're in trouble on leap year. Um, <laughs> you get no spiritual direction no, on leap year. No, you have to turn to another source that day. 
<laughs> but you can find that. I got my copy on Amazon. I have it's on my Kindle. Uh, it's the first thing that I pull up every morning um, to see what St. Padre Pio has got to say. And it's just a collection of letters that he wrote to people who um, he was close to and how he was trying to encourage them to stay in their faith. Mm-hmm. And it's it's if you haven't read a father, I, I, I know he's not a Jesuit, but um, yeah, maybe okay. maybe give him a give him a shot. All right, I will. I like All Padre right. Pio. All right. All right. You're kind of our Padre Pio. Oh, stop. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, I'm a little heavy, and I have a beard right now, too, which people can't see, but I grew a beard over uh, my uh, COVID quarantine, and I've kept it. But um, Maybe we should talk about Padre Pio sometime. That'd sometime, good, yeah, that'd, that'd be, be a, a good, good topic. topic. Mm-hmm. All right. You want to uh, close us out in prayer, Father? Yeah, let's do it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So, Heavenly Father, Jesus, our Lord, our brother, Holy Spirit, our advocate and guide, we thank you for this opportunity to talk about the faith and about the need to spread that faith. And so we lift up in prayer to you, uh, your children who may be far from you, who may be suffering and hurting. We ask that you might use each one of us in perhaps very small, ordinary ways to uh, spread the faith and to bring people closer to you, Jesus. And Blessed Mother Mary, uh, we ask for your protection. Uh, Wrap your mantle around us, protect us from our spiritual enemy, and help us to be more deeply conformed to the heart of your Son, Jesus. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. All right. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jim. Great being with you. Hope you have a good week. Yes, you too. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. God bless you.